0: Do you ever just look at a movie and think, You are so cool. Hey, fam. Welcome to a new episode of Stay Watching Mondays at the Movies. As always, I'm your host, Larry. So as you might have guessed, as you saw in the title in your feed, I have brought Mondays at the Movies back. I am going to try to do my best to do this every Monday. Obviously, it's always going to depend on what is going on and, and how many movies that I can actually see uh, in time to record this. Um... But I thought it was a good way to you know, kind of have a little bit of a shorter episode because a couple of my ep- last few episodes were a little long and I know that can be a lot to take. Um, so I just wanted to be able to find a way to kind of give you some shorter pieces of content that you can enjoy in between waiting for some of the longer episodes and, and kind of deeper dives. So this week, I actually wanted to talk about two movies. I didn't see them both this week. I saw one of them this week, and I saw one of them a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to talk about The Gentleman and Birds of Prey and The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Um, Partially because I I think both of these films are very similar. Um, I think in a lot of ways, they're both very fun. They both have their issues. some of them are actually pretty similar issues because there is some similar structural uh, things that are going on with these films. Um, but I also kind of wanted to just just before I kind of get into like really talking about the films, just talk about one of the things that I kind of noticed with both of them, because, you know, they're both films that you would think would do a little bit better. I mean, one is, you know, with Birds of Prey, you have a DC comic film film. You know, opening weekend, it only made $33 million. At least that's what it's projected as at the time that I'm recording this. Uh, the gentleman, its opening weekend only made $10 million. I think it's up to, I, I want to say it's up to maybe 50 something worldwide at this point that I'm recording it. And it's been out here in the States since January 24th. It, it came out in uh, Britain, I think, January 1st. Um, so, you know, both of these movies are, I, I, I imagine, have to be a little bit under what was expected. And the thing that I noticed with both of them, at least in, in kind of from my perspective, is I feel like neither of them were really advertised that well. Um, you're talking about two things that, you know, outside of for the gentleman Guy Ritchie's name, um, for people who know him as a director, that might be able to catch some of them. But I, I feel like not a lot of people know his names. Birds of Prey super terrible seo on that name um uh harley quinn's name is all the way at the end of that super long title uh it doesn't say anything you know obviously it doesn't say anything about batman or anything like that so i think there's obviously like that movie is trying to stand on its own away from those things but i think there's a lot of things working against it marketing wise or just kind of general advertising wise that you know, make it a little bit difficult for it to stand out right now. And I also think it's a really tough time of year to release things. I mean, we're talking about uh, coming out um, right after awards season or right during awards season, I should say. Um, You're talking about the winner. A lot of people don't want to go out to the movies, things like that, Um, unless it's something big and fun and, and brash. I mean, a lot of people went out for Um, you know, the, the bad boys, uh, for life, bad boys, three movie that came out. So, you know, there's, there are films there or movies, however you want to look at it that can perform during this time of year. But I think neither of these were really given a chance to, um, neither of them quite have, you know, despite having people who I would say are, are stars right now, you know, Matthew McConaughey and the gentleman. And Margot Robbie and Birds of Prey. I don't think either of them are necessarily the people that are going to get folks to come out in droves to see a movie. And so if you don't have the right marketing strategy behind those films, I think we kind of saw exactly what was going to happen, happen with these. So uh, I just kind of wanted to get that out of the way up top. Cause I know a lot of people are probably wondering about that because, you know, from a content perspective, from a, from a filmmaking, from a, from a movie perspective, I don't think either of these films really deserve to be doing badly. Um, like I said, there are issues with both of them, but I think they are, they're a lot of fun. So Stick tight. Uh, I will be right back and we'll get into these two films. So the first movie that I'm going to talk about this Monday is *The Gentleman*. Uh, it's directed by Guy Ritchie. So, uh, for you, for those of you who don't know, Guy Ritchie is he really kind of got big with his movie *Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels*. It's his British crime. Uh, we're we're gonna call it a, a drama thriller, partial comedy. He does, he, he is a kind of a cool filmmaker where he was able to make these really cool, you know, quirky British crime movies, um, that really stood out. He has a very kind of distinct visual style, which got aped by a lot of different people. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see him come back to this type of film. Um, he had been working on, do you, if you know, those, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies, he did the two of those. He did a King Arthur movie that a Land movie that made over a billion dollars this past summer. He made that. Um, so it's kind of cool to see him in a sense, getting back to his roots. Um, and so what I would say is, um, just kind of up top, like while it's not well, it's not the best movie. Like, I I don't think this is something that, you know, I'm going to say is great. I think it's a good time at the movies. Um, if you like some of his other work, if you like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, if you like Snatch, I think you're going to have a good time with this. Um, you know, there's some really humorous mo- moments. I, I actually thought, thought it was pretty hilarious. Um, I think they have a great cast of characters who, you know, everybody who is cast in this film in a, in a sense gets to be a really ridiculous caricature and have as much fun as they want with it. Um, one of my favorites happens to be a character played by Colin Farrell, who plays uh, this guy named coach, who's basically this boxing trainer who, who leads this group of overzealous, like miscreants who are kind of known as the toddlers in this movie. Um, and there's just a lot of, uh, fun with that. One of the toddlers is actually played by Bugsy Malone. Who's, uh, He's a British uh, grime artist or a British rapper. Um, and he plays uh, he plays one of these guys, and it, and it leads to like a really, really hilarious moment in this film that I was not expecting and, and really greatly appreciated. Uh, but just kind of backtracking, uh, the film stars Matthew McConaughey, who plays uh, Mickey Pearson, who is basically this American-born uh, cannabis kingpin who had come to Britain on a, I guess it was a, uh, on a scholarship, and uh, he started selling weed while he was here, or while he was there, and just kind of stayed and became a kingpin. Um, His right-hand man is played by Charlie Hunnam, uh, who uh, you might know from Sons of Anarchy and stuff like that. I think he does, he's basically your, Charlie Hunnam is really the main character of the film. Most of what we see is from his perspective. Most of the story is is told between his character and Hugh Grant's character. Hugh Grant plays this private investigator who's trying to blackmail... Um, Mickey Pearson's business uh, because he's got a lot of dirt on them. I don't want to talk about what it is because it spoils some of it. Um, But basically, Hugh Grant's character and Charlie Hunnam um, are really kind of the framing device for this film. Uh, One of the things that I think is really interesting, again, thinking about The Gentleman and thinking about Birds of Prey, which I'll get to a little bit later. One of the things that's really interesting is they both use these they use a a non-traditional yet traditional, um, story structure. Um, and so in this film, we're using a framing device where, you know, and again, this, this might spoil it a little bit. Like it's not a, it's not a major spoiler. It's just like how the movie is framed and you see it within the first kind of minute of the film. Uh, but basically Hugh Grant's character has written the story that we are going to partake of in this film as a screenplay. Um, and he is threatening to release this screenplay, uh, and let everybody know kind of what's been going on with Mickey Pearson's business. And so that in and of itself is, is a really interesting way to set up this movie. And so it allows for some really fun moments. It it allows for them to do different things that, you know, might might be starting to become a little bit old hat at this point you know especially when you have a lot of films like um you know i'm going to compare both of these a little bit to something like deadpool uh, where you have a film that's more or less narrated by a character and they're taking you through these events. They're unreliable. And, you know, you, you kind of have to like weed out what really happened, what didn't happen, what might've happened differently from what they said. And so I, I think those things, you know, while I, I, I found them enjoyable in this film, mostly because I think Hugh Grant's performance is like so over the top and the way that Charlie Hunnam is like this perfect he's the perfect straight man for Hugh Grant's like over-the-topness in this film. I, I think it kind of works in a in a in a pretty nice way. Um and I and I think that's that's kind of what I I really really think is enjoyable about this film. I, I think they while it's not doing anything completely new they do good work with what they have with the actors that they have they're all having a good time which is which is something that you don't always see in these types of movies sometimes it feels like people might be just kind of not enjoying it everybody seems to be having a ton of fun like they get to again like these are caricatures they're not real people and I guess that, that kind of brings me to one of the areas where this film might falter for some, uh, because I think it's important to, to talk about this a little bit. Um, cause what I will say is even though I enjoyed the film, I would be remiss. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that it, it, it does have a problem area, especially in the realm of the way that stereotyping is used in the film. Um, you know, there are some scenes, some, some ways that characters are portrayed that definitely could be seen as as uh, potentially racist, anti-Semitic, sexist, homophobic. There is some of that. And, you know, I don't want to make the excuse of, well, it's a crime film, so you should expect these things um, because I, I, I you don't necessarily need to expect those things. Um, but I, I do think that is a part of the territory with this film. And, you know, I think in some ways, in watching it, those things are clearly done, um, you know, especially you know, again, if you, you kind of backtrack, I, again, I'm not going to spoil everything that's going on in this movie, but there are certain reasons why it might be clear that those things are done, especially using the framing device that was used in the film, um, you know, and I, and I think it's something that's, if you, once you see the film and you kind of take those elements and you put them in the context of the film and the story that the film is telling, I think they make sense, even if they are unsavory, even if they're something that, might, might feel really ugly when you're watching the film. Um, you know, and, and I think that's where, that's one of the places where, while it's fun to see kind of Guy Ritchie go back to this well, where he got some of his really clever ideas, where his really fun ideas were coming from, there are certain items that kind of get fished out with that that maybe I think some of us wish had kind of stayed down there. And so, you know, for me, those elements didn't ruin it because I still had a really good time. I still enjoyed a lot of what I was watching, but there is that kind of tempering of some of those moments with, you know, all right, like if I, if I am, I have to kind of steel myself against some of this stuff. Otherwise, like I will detest this thing, Um, you know, and kind of knowing, in a, in a way where it's coming from in the context of the story, it makes sense, but it still for, for certain audiences, it still may not be acceptable at any level. So I, and I totally get that. Um, so that's just kind of like one of those things. The other thing too, is like, you know, again, like it, it's whenever you try to use a framing device, like they use in this film, Um, it adds to some of the pacing issues, some of the structural issues that you might see, uh, when watching this back. And, you know, I, I don't think this film escapes those issues. And, you know, as as much as I did enjoy it, I do think there are some pacing issues. I do wish it was a little tighter, a little cleaner. Um, you know, there, it, it, it really comes down to, as you watch more and more films and, and you see Certain folks do it really well. Like I I know on my last episode, I talked a lot about Parasite and how efficiently made that film was and how well edited it was and how great the pacing was. I think when you see films that like really use their runtime effectively and don't feel as long as they do, uh, when you see other films in, in kind of contrast to them, um, some of their flaws in that arena really stick out a lot more. And so I just feel like this is an area where this film kind of falters a bit for me. Um, but that said again, you know, I think it's a fun British crime movie. If you're into that sort of thing, you will probably enjoy it. Just know there might be some unsavory elements to it. Um, kind of be, kind of to be expected of the material. But again, if you don't want to engage with any of that at all, I understand if you want to skip that. Um, but again, I had a I had a fun time with it. The other film that I had a fun time with, but is also underperforming right now and not a lot of people are going to see, is uh, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. I will keep beating down that title because it is, one, it's too long, two, it tells you nothing. Three, if you don't know these characters, if you don't know the birds of prey, it's going to be really hard for you to find this movie. Um, you know, it's not even like DC's birds of prey, you know, it's just, it's just difficult. And I, and I know they're trying to strike out on their own, but I just think there's a lot of lack of name recognition going into this thing that hurts it. Uh, like this film is directed by Kathy N and, you know, I like a lot of what she did from a directorial standpoint in this film. Um, but I I have no idea who she is really, you know, I, I don't know anything about her. I looked her up and I was just like, I have never heard of any of these projects before. Um, you know, Obviously, I, I I'm I'm excited to see where she goes from here. Um, and I'm hoping she has opportunities uh to go places from here. Um, but it was just like I don't know. The biggest the biggest two stars in this film right now uh are Margot Robbie, who plays Harley Quinn, um and Ewan McGregor, Ewan McGregor who plays Roman Sionis or or the character Black Mask. Um other folks in the film include Mary Elizabeth Winstead who plays Huntress. Journey Smollett Bell, who plays Black Canary or Dinah Lance, Uh, Rosie Perez, who plays Renee Montoya, Uh, Chris Messing, uh, sorry, not Chris Messing, Chris Messina, who plays Victor Zaz, and Ella Joey Bosco, who plays Cassandra Cain. Um, And so, again, like, you know, as I was kind of saying before, like, no one who is in this movie. Is going to drive people to their seats. So it's like you don't have that big star name that's attracting people to see this movie, um, you know. And so you're just kind of going on. All right, do people who know the comic characters want to see this? Can they kind of drum up a nice hype about it? Um, you know, it looks colorful and exciting and action-packed. Maybe the trailer will get some people in. Um, other than a couple of social media ads here and there, I have not seen a whole lot of advertising for it. So I don't know. I don't know if they did billboards. I don't know if they did magazine advertisements. I don't know any of that. Um, You know, I know they did the one spot in uh, association with IT Chapter Two, um, but that's kind of it. Like I, I don't know how this film was marketed and all I can think of like based on its box office is that they didn't do a good job with it. Um, and maybe, Hey, maybe they put a lot of work in it, but I, I don't recall seeing much of it. Uh, but the basic premise of this film is, uh, after breaking up with the Joker, Harley Quinn makes a series of bad decisions that put her on a collision course with just about everyone in Gotham city. Uh, and through a series of wild events, Harley has to team up with the huntress, Black Canary and Renee Montoya to save Cassandra Kane from the crime boss known as black mask and his crew. And you know, it, it. it in a lot of ways, they try to make this film more complex than it needs to be um, because it, it, it is a kind of straightforward film. Um, I think part of the challenge with it is that they they give a little bit more attention to the parts of the story that aren't as interesting. So, you know, for me watching this as someone who oh, well, thinks a lot about like kind of personal <laughs> I don't want to say personal drama because that kind of cheapens it a little bit, but you know, reflecting on relationships and trying to find yourself and all of that sort of things, uh, all of those sorts of things. I think those are a lot of the elements that are are really effectively looked at in this film, really effectively done. Uh, And then the kind of driving, hey, we need to do this thing piece of the film is where it falls a little flat for me. much like The Gentleman, this film uses a narration to help frame the story. However, from the outset, it's much more disconnected than The Gentleman was. Um, Perhaps to reflect the way that Harley Quinn's mind kind of works, I don't really think this part of it worked that well, Uh, mostly because it killed all the momentum in certain scenes. Uh, It would bring you to a screeching halt when it feels like something was about to happen, only to slow you slowly walk you through a bunch of things just to get back to kind of where you were. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily like, I, I'm not, it's, that's not my favorite thing. Like Deadpool did that. I didn't really like Deadpool. <laughs> um, the the first one, I, I still will stand by the fact that like, I feel like a lot of times I'm the only person who did not like the Deadpool movies. Um, they just did not work for me. I didn't think they were as funny as, as everybody else did. And I think kind of the structural issues that I have with this film, you know, are the same structural issues that I had with that film. Um, I know what they're trying to do. I just don't think it, I personally don't think it works. I don't think it does a job of making that story they're telling any more compelling. Um, but once Birds of Prey gets about halfway through, um, Around the time of a set of scenes set in Gotham City Police Department, um, I think the the story and structure seems to even out a bit, and it's not as distracting. Um, and then, kind of, what I would say is, with that kind of major kind of negative piece of it out of the way, because I think for me that's the biggest problem. I, there's another problem that I'll that I'll get to a little bit later, but. For me, the biggest problem is the structure and the pacing, and it just, it takes me out of the film a little bit. Uh, But there are a lot of good things with this movie. It's a good, bad movie. That's the way I would describe it. Like, it is not a good movie. Like, I I think the story could have been better, the writing could have been better, uh, but it is fun. The characters uh, do a really fantastic job Um, on screen, a lot of times the action sequences are fantastic, but you know, really where it kind of stands out for me. And, and, and I gotta be real. I saw this movie twice opening weekend. So despite whatever issues I have with it around the storytelling, around the structure, around the pacing, I still enjoyed so much of it. Um, I really love a lot of the visual decisions that they made. I think the color choices within the film and motifs for each of the character were really engaging. I think they were able to do some stuff that that really worked. You built, they built motifs that just kind of stuck with each character throughout the story. Um, it made it very easy to kind of track them on screen during certain situations. Um, I think that. I think that one of the things that I really liked is the fun use of graphic design. So this is something that, I, in a lot of ways, feels like a carryover from Suicide Squad. So they use graphic design, illustration, and animation in this, this really fun way um, to kind of mix it in, layered on top of what we are seeing on screen, layered on top of what's been filmed. Um, and they just do it in a much more naturalistic way that that makes more sense for this film and for this character and doesn't feel out of place. Um, you know, it just, it just feels like they totally got that piece of it right where they hadn't necessarily done it right with Suicide Squad. Um, I thought the, uh, fight scenes are incredibly well choreographed and and just so much fun. Unlike many of the over-edited fight scenes that we often get in a bunch of comic book movies these days, you can definitely feel the influences from Jackie Chan films as well as stuff like The Raid, um... And it's, it's just a breath of fresh air considering like, I, you know, I, I hate how over edited so many of our, our fight scenes are here in the States. You know, there's so many cut-ins, like you don't have wide shots to really see the action happening. And so it doesn't feel real. It feels like a bunch of staged shots to simulate a fight rather than feeling like a real fight. And this film, the fights feel like real fights, you know, I, and I, I, it's hard to explain without having you like watch this stuff and understand. But what I would say is like, if you, have you ever seen a Bourne movie like the Jason Bourne movies, you know, how they have all those quick cuts and edits and people close together fighting with shaky cam and you can't tell what's going on. That's what I'm talking about. And a lot of films even today are still kind of using that style rather than taking a wider approach and letting the fight scene play out, like let us see the action. Um, and I think this film does a really good job of letting us see the action. Uh, and some of the action is really cool. There are three, what I would say is there are three, maybe four, four and a half, like standout action sequences that like once I can, I will just like have those scenes cut out and just enjoy those. Um, I, I think they did some really, really cool stuff in this film. Um, stuff that, like I said, as when I was done, I wanted to see that stuff again. Um, one fun aside, uh, in kind of looking up some of the stuff about this movie, cause I, I always get kind of interested in this stuff. Um, the cinematographer for this film is, uh, Matthew Libatique. Uh, I'm no good with pronouncing names, so sorry. Uh, but he is a cinematographer who previously worked with Darren Aronofsky, and he worked on Pi, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, Black Swan, Noah, and Mother! Um, and on top of that, he also worked on stuff like Venom, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Straight Out of Compton, and A Star is Born, among others. Like, one of the things that I saw on his list was actually Josie and the Pussycats which is just kind of wild. And like, there's, there's a piece of me that's like, all right, like that Josie and the pussycats DNA in a lot of ways, like I can see bits and pieces of it here. Uh, even though that was like ages ago for this person, like just being able to see a little bit of that sprinkled in was, was kind of interesting. Um, Another issue that, that I'm going to talk about just kind of briefly before getting into like just two last things that I really do enjoy about this film. Um, I thought the writing was a bit thin overall, but especially for characters like Cassandra Kane, who is this child's character who we're supposed to care about, but like really essentially is kind of like the MacGuffin of this film. I wish she was given more to do. Uh, Black Canary, Dinah Lance, like we get a bit of her, but I don't think anything is really that compelling with her. Um, Huntress, uh, she is also Helena Bertinelli. Um, She's just like not really given much. Like when she appears on screen, she is fun. They do some great stuff with her being kind of awkward and stilted. Um, And I liked those aspects, but again, it just felt like it was a bit undercooked and a bit underserved. Uh, Same thing with Renee Montoya. It's just like, we just didn't get much out of that character. That said, I think each of the actresses work well enough in their roles um, to to kind of help you sidestep some of the thinness of that writing, um, even though you might still really want some more from them. And it and it is kind of a challenge because like those characters um, are more in line with what the title of the film is, but they are not necessarily the biggest part of it, um, which you'll understand when you when you see the movie. Um, the two real standouts of this film for me are Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor. Robbie really shines as Harley Quinn. I mean, if you saw Suicide Squad, she and Will Smith were like the two best pieces of that movie, which, you know, at the time wasn't really saying a lot, but like, you know, they really stood out in contrast to everybody else. Uh, But you can tell she like really loves playing this character. Uh, She could go, she was like completely off the wall, sick and sadistic, yet warm and funny and human in this really interesting way. Uh, because so much of the film revolves around kind of the end of her relationship with the Joker. They do a good job of finding a variety of ways to show her struggles with the end of that relationship and the journey to kind of find her own power and step into it. I, I thought that was a really interesting approach for it, uh, for that character specifically, especially like having grown up watching Batman, the animated series. And, you know, they had done some of the Gotham City Sirens stuff before with with um, Harley Quinn and, and Poison Ivy striking out and like you know, Harley trying to leave the Joker because he is an abusive asshole. Um, you know, and so being able to kind of see that visualized in this film, I thought was, was really well done. That's one of the things that I thought they did a pretty good job with. Um, throughout the film, despite being someone who seems really insufferable, I think they also do a good job of making her relatable in ways you can start. And, and, help you find ways to start understanding her headspace a little bit better. Um, You know, because it's very easy for her to just be seen as this annoying character. But it's like, as you go through the film, you know, through what you're shown of her situation and who she is and, you know, what's important to her, you understand why she is the way she is uh, and you hope that she can really find, you know, what she needs within herself. Um, I also like that they use Harley's past as a psychiatrist as a bit of a running gag to kind of remind the audience that despite that she is a despite her being a dangerous deranged clown woman she's really smart and knows how to like see through people to their cores and I just think there's there they do some really great stuff with that and then the writing around that uh, I think that stuff worked really effectively um, juxtaposing, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn in this film is Ewan McGregor's uh, brilliantly played Roman Sionis or the Black Mask. And, you know, he may not be the competent crime boss that he is in the comics and the animated Batman shows. Um, I think he is used really effectively in this film. Like, you know, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge to bring in a character like him, because if you're going to do an animated project, you're assuming that some of the comic book audience might already know who he is, or you're going to give more time to build him up and explain who he is, um, versus a film like this, which it's not necessarily about him. You need a villain. Um, you know, and so you can kind of work him in and, and they give enough of his backstory so you can kind of understand who he is, where he's coming from, why he is the way he is. Um, you know, and I think they do some really interesting stuff with him again, juxtaposing him against Harley Quinn. Um, though he doesn't have, you know, the actual black mask on for most of the film. Sorry if you're, you're expecting that. It's just the way that these comic book movies work. It's the same reason why, you know, we're always seeing inside of Iron Man's mask in the uh, Avengers movies, or why we're seeing, you know, Spider-Man without his mask on, or Cap without his mask on. It's the same thing, you wanna see the actors' faces, and so they find ways to make sure that they don't have the masks on, Um, especially at pivotal moments where it's gonna be pretty close to their face. Uh, So that might be one problem for comic book fans who are just like, oh, you should have his mask on more. Um, But I think they do a good job within this film of kind of clearly showing that despite not wearing, you know, the black mask that you would expect from the comics, he is still wearing a mask of sorts and in a way using kind of his portrayal to examine the idea of male fragility contrasted against female empowerment. Uh, this, this comes up in more than one scene. And I think they actually do a really good job of putting it on display, um, and kind of making you contend with it. And so while he is a bombastic over the top character, he is incredibly sadistic yet funny. Um, there are moments where you're just like, this guy is downright terrifying. And why is he like this? What is he compensating for? And and really kind of putting you in that headspace where you're you're wanting to analyze him more, um, you know. And so, even though it's easy to say he is just kind of a stereotypical bil- villain, um, there is a bit of analysis and you know digging that you can do. To really see more beyond just the surface of that character, um, and, and a lot of that is expounded upon by his relationship with uh, Victor Zaz, who in the comics is usually just kind of like a serial killer, uh, but in this film plays you know the right hand man of uh, Black Mask, and you know their kind of symbiotic relationship, and you know how how zazz kind of helps guide. Black Mask to his desires, uh, which I which I think is really interesting. You know, taking, you know, again, looking at Black Mask as this juxtaposition to Harley Quinn, rather than trying to find himself in his emptiness, the idea that he is trying to fill the void with things, whether that be money or property or people. Uh, I I just think McGregor makes this thirst palpable throughout these just these wild outbursts that he has, you know, positioned against some of the most interesting, subtle, easily missable micro reactions, uh, both verbally and and facially that that I've seen from him. I, you know, I would argue that this is probably one of my you know I. I, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know, I love Ewan McGregor in the Star Wars prequels. He's the best part of the prequels. I know that's not saying much, but I I think he did a really good job there. I think he's really fun to watch. I think for me, this might be my favorite Ewan McGregor role in years. Um, I think he's really fun to watch and I think he's actually doing a lot more than you might initially think on the surface. Um, and so while he might not be the black mask people are used to, I think he's way more interesting and terrifying personally. So, so those are the two movies that I wanted to talk about this week. I'll be right back. you seen either the gentleman or birds of prey let me know your thoughts on social media at Larry Tron pretty much everywhere or shoot me an email Larry at lm2photo.com Like I said I'm gonna be bringing Mondays at the movies back every week and I'm going to try to have a regular episode of the podcast every other week um, That way you know usually it's gonna be one to two episodes in your feed each week um, making sure that you hear about the latest movies from me each week. Um, generally I'm going to try to keep these episodes a little bit shorter, but this one ran over a little bit because apparently I had a lot more to say than I thought I did. Um, but yeah, I'll be back again soon. Stay watching fam. Peace.